You are listening to the Alouette's Flight Deck, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. All right, folks, we've been clear for takeoff. Welcome to the Alouettes Flight Deck, the podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouettes football. I'm Cliffy D. You can find me on Twitter at Cliffy D. And I'm Tim Capper. You can also find me on Twitter, but at Repact. That's R-E-P-P-A-C-T. And this episode is presented by our good friends over at SportBuff, where if you use the promo code FlightDeck-10 at checkout, you can save 10% off your entire order. So head over to SportBuffShop.com, use that 10%, grab that brand new CFL merch that is now available, and support local. And the Alouette's Flight Deck is all over the World Wide Web. Head on over to our website at www.alouettesflightdeck.ca, where you will find the archives of our seven plus seasons on the air make sure you give us a follow on twitter at alouettes fl deck find us on facebook at facebook.com slash alouettes flight deck pod check out our instagram page at alouettes fl deck and of course you can check out the, the flight deck on any of the major podcast platforms and on youtube over at youtube.com slash alouettes flight deck and last but not least, make sure you check out our merchandise store over at teespring.com slash stores slash Al's Flight Deck. Yes, sir. We got a, I have an idea for another one of our, if you know, you know, uh, items for our merchandise line. So hopefully that'll come to fruition soon. We weren't able to, I wasn't able to get them done before training camps. I'm kind of bummed, Cliff, but I got a feeling once we put them up on the, put them up on the, on the website and have them available, uh, it'll be, uh, It'll be a hot item, so stay tuned. So, uh, draft this week, my friend. Um, they had two full rounds of coverage on TSN. Curious to see what those uh, ratings are going to be like, considering what they were going up against. Uh, yeah, it's not every day that the Toronto Maple Leafs advance to the second round of the playoffs. So, I mean, this is definitely uncharted territory. So, yeah, I think you could forgive your average Canadian if they decided, you know what. I, I'm not going to watch the CFL draft. I'm sorry. I, I got to see the Maple Leafs play. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I personally don't want to see the Maple Leafs play, but hey, you, <laughs> you do you, Canada. Exactly. You do you. And as I'm sitting here, uh, you know, talking about the draft, by the way, having a bevy. I don't know. Are you having a bevy? Of course. What are you, what are you drinking right now? Oh, water. <laughs> oh, yo, wow. For once, I am not having water. I'm not having tea. I'm having what should be. And this is funny. I'm having what should be the new wild strawberry no boats on Sunday, and I say should be because when I open up the can, it was regular apple cider. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, those bastards. Not, not once, but twice. So, yeah, <laughs> needless to say, nope. The guys over at No Boats have heard from me already because it's just a touch strange. It's two no two two cans out of this current four pack, by the way, that was bought in Ontario. Ouch. Yeah, I mean, that, that yeah. hurts. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Considering how much I loved it when I was out in, out in Alberta. But real quickly, I know we're talking about draft and lineups and stuff like that. Consider we, we've joked about this. And if, if we brought up, if we, if we ever created our own flight of beers, ciders, blah, blah, what would your, and I know that you can go, flights can be many, but what would your three be? Because I know three can be between three and five, I think, for a flight of, of alcohol. But what would your three be? Because I know you're a connoisseur. I'm not, but I know you're a connoisseur. Wow. Are we, are we, we're talking about like craft beers? Anything that, you want. Uh, yeah, yeah, anything you want, dude. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Imagine the possibilities. <laughs> wow. Uh, 
gosh, I mean, we can go so many different ways with this. But I mean, uh, say it's say it's us sitting in Troyvier watching practice, uh, us watching the first preseason game. Uh, what what would you want in front of you? Uh, you know what? I got to give a shout out to uh, the uh, Cat Origins uh, microbrasserie. They do phenomenal work here in Montreal as far as beer goes. Uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of their beers, but most importantly, the Montreal State of Mind. It's a New England IPA, and it is fan-freaking-tastic. I mean, that would definitely be on my list. That would be amongst the flight, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I would probably have to go... Uh, it's a little cliched, but I'd probably want uh, a nice stout on there. Uh, maybe uh, Pesh Mortel from uh, Zero to CL would be a good choice. Uh then after that, uh, I probably want something light, especially if we're watching like preseason and training camp, and you know it gets hot as heck during training camp. So I probably want something a little, a little light just to, to cool me down a little bit. Uh, in which case, uh, probably go with uh, oh wow, I'd probably go with uh, Lug Tread by Bose uh, Brewery out in Ontario, uh, Vancouver Hill in Ontario. Mm. Amazing beer, and just like a nice, simple, easy drinking beer, just up uh, the I mean, road too. Yeah, not terribly far, and you know it. They Again, another brewery that does fantastic work and uh, is all about uh, sustainable, you know, sus- uh, uh, responsible and sustainable, uh, you know, uh, craftsmanship mm-hmm. when it comes to beer. So, I mean, like, I- I'd be very proud to have that in my flight. And if I'm if I'm allowed a fourth, then I would probably go with my all-time favorite beer, Moosehead. I mean, yeah, it's simple but clean, easy to drink, and just absolutely great flavor. So, I think. That would be my uh, that would be my flight, if has you it, will. Hasn't Moosehead really gone beyond the the craft beer though? I mean, it's I mean you can it's like some of the ones that that are in Ottawa, you know, Steam Whistle and stuff like that. I mean, which I know that are readily available. I think at the the Works, uh, the the Burger Joint, the Works, and I, I don't know have they. I think they brought in something else recently over at the Works as far as their beers goes too. But it doesn't hasn't Moosehead kind of graduated though? Well, it's funny because they are an independent brewery. Or at least they were. I think they've since been bought out. But, uh, I mean, they still have that independent sort of feel to it. So, it, no, it's not a craft beer anymore because, again, it is a worldwide beer for, for by and large. But, uh, I mean, I'm, again, if you're just talking about something in, simple and easy to drink, I mean, that that to me is what would qualify it. I mean, if you if you, if you want me to go back to the whole craft beer thing, then, uh, again, then we can take Moosehead off the list and – Oh, oh, boy. Oh, I don't care. It can be whatever you want to. That's the thing. And by the way, there's, there actually are still an independent brewery. Well, okay. Then then I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it then. Even though it's not technically a craft beer, I'll, I'll go with the independent part of it. And yeah, we'll we'll leave the Moosehead because yeah. they're awesome. Yeah. It really is a, a great brewery. Now, I, I'm, and now, you know me. I'm not. I'm not a big connoisseur, and I wish I remembered names of of the different types of of, of ciders. I am, I mean, people who know me as you do, you know, I'm a cider guy. I'd like to try these things to make sure they taste they taste good and stuff like that. And they aren't. I mean, no boats. Ever since I've been out out east to to the Atlantic province, it's something about no boats has just has captured uh, has captured the taste. Has cat, you know. So I am. I'm very pro no boats. Really, really am. I mean, just just whether it be from their regular apple to their pear to their new wild strawberry, which if I had it right now, I'd be enjoying it, but I'm not. <laughs> it's just so weird, dude. It's just so weird. It's like, wait well, a minute, is this supposed to be a different? I was talking to my wife the other night. It's like, is this supposed to be a different color? It's supposed to smell different. It was just so weird. 
It's like bait and switch. It's, it's a bait. Like- yeah, I told them if they, if they needed some information on the batch, I got the whole batch number. I can give to them anyways. But um, but I, I'm probably gonna you know I, those would be my. I, there's one that I, I don't remember the name. It's it's when we were in uh, Toronto for the. Um, uh, for the Eastern Final, whatever that one that we had there at that restaurant, I can't remember the name of it now because I didn't, I didn't put it on my because I only started doing uh, the tapped app after the fact, mm-hmm. so I don't remember the name of it. Um, you know, the one that was given to us recently as a four pack, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the testers that we were given, uh, those were quite good. And again, I apologize for not remembering the name of the company, um, but uh, I think I, and to start off is one that really just started me off was uh, Michel Jodouin. Um, it's a Quebec cider, um, a little bit more, uh, you know, I can usually tell when there is something with the, that's not really, not an aftertaste, but it comes with the preservatives. You can really tell the difference in, with some of the Quebec ciders that I've had, uh, the difference in taste. It, it's funny how you can have them from across the country and each of them, it, which is a good thing, obviously they taste different. You know, I've had some apple sauce, some apps some pear ciders. It's way too sweet. You know what I mean? It's like you have a beer you think is going to be good, and then you drink, and you're like, no. You know what I mean? It's either too too sour, because I don't know how you are when it comes to sour beers, but, you know, as an example, the, the Alouette spear that we had in stadium. You loved it. I despised it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a beer guy, but I despised it. Well, and again, if you're not a beer guy, then, of course, you're not going to appreciate it. Just like if you're not a fan of cider, you may you may not appreciate the subtleties that you would enjoy them for for example so exactly and i think i had one last time we were in three rivers actually we had one we went up to the uh, bar yeah. there that was quite that was quite good too yeah so listen i mean quebec has really grown in leaps and bounds when it comes to all kinds of alcohol producing it's 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 remarkable and i'm glad we get a chance to try it and well i mean when when does this become a cocktail hour? I don't know. I'm not mad. Don't, hey. don't get me wrong. I'm not mad. But <laughs> well, yeah, hey, from, from the province that brings you Modit. Um <laughs> What Fane de Mon didn't want any of that? <laughs> well, let's see. Is that a, has a higher alcohol content? For people oh, don't know, Modit. By the way, easily it's a depener beer. It's a corner store beer easily that you don't have to necessarily buy at the uh, at the liquor commission or anything like that. And this is something that is what 11 percent alcohol content. It's yeah, it's basically it's basically paint thinner. Yeah, it, it, but it's but it's it's a known beer, very well known beer in Quebec. Oh yeah. So no, I, 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 the best though is when you get like these uh, 18, 19 year olds who just became of age to drink and <laughs> snapping up whatever they can. And think, oh, we're gonna get drunk. We're gonna buy the this you know the, this beer like 10, 12 percent. They try it and like, oh my god, yeah. Because it's it's a little rough, folks. Uh, if you ever had a chance to try, it, I mean. I, I actually, I'd rather be drinking it. schnapps and Modid. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of hard to argue that. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, this uh, cocktail hour is brought to you by. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So speaking, as I said these were our choices. Great segue. You know, we had the the draft that just took place yesterday, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, a lot of places, you know, some, a lot of guys, you know, three down did a great job, uh, doing their drafting with three hours. I mean, we had a couple of others that were on, I think CFL news hub had one also on, um, you know, the, uh, it's just, they just really did a really good job. And, you know, it's funny. It's, you either become underwhelmed, overwhelmed, or kind of meh when it came to the draft. And, you know, we'll be speaking with Three Down Nations, uh, J.C. Abbott here in a couple of minutes to, to go over the draft and what the Alouettes did. Um, but 
I, I saw what we got, and uh, to my, I told you, uh, to me, it was a, I think it was okay-ish draft. I didn't call, I didn't categorize it as a meh draft. I just felt it was okay. Because as I said on social, I think a little bit later on, it's like, I want these guys to be able to be an impact right away. I hate, I understand the point of being futures, but I want, you know, look, look, look what, look at our first round draft picks did last year. Look where they are currently on this, on this team. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, you can't get a Tyson Philpot every year. I get that. But still, I want these guys to be able to make an impact right away. And I, you'll, I know you'll chime in here, but there's something that kind of blows our mind too. We're something that that's supposed to be happening on Thursday because we're taping this on on Wednesday uh, tomorrow that the Alouettes have announced. But what were your what were your thoughts overall uh, when it came to the draft? I mean, it, it was kind of a weird year for me when it came to the draft because in years previous, I used to be so excited for the draft. Like I'd get I'd watch the combine, I'd start doing the research early, trying to get you know figure out who I think would be a good fit for the Alouettes. And this year, whether it was because of the the lack of coverage for the most part for the for the combine like not televising the combine or or doing a live stream from there or anything between that and all the craziness that's been going on with the alouettes during the off season it i gotta be be honest it kind of just you know kind of snuffed the fire for me a little bit like i was just kind of just didn't my heart wasn't in it like it used to be and that's you know to me it's really unfortunate and there are times where i just wonder if maybe the cfl's would rather that like rather because they really truly don't give this a whole lot of attention to the draft and when it comes to tsn coverage like you get the first two rounds and then they go to tsn plus or tsn go or whatever it is and if you have that and you can find it i mean it's uh, too many hoops to jump through unnecessarily and i get it like the the ratings are no doubt going to be terrible when when they they finally get released because yeah you were going up against the Maple Leafs in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs you're going up against the NBA playoffs which is always a a huge draw even if the Raptors aren't in it all all that to say I mean the people that want to watch the draft are going to watch the draft so why not make it easier for them same thing with the combine not everybody's going to watch and watch it I get it and there's a lot of CFL fans that could give a rat's ass about the draft itself because all they care about is who's currently playing for the team. Never mind who's going to be playing for the team two, three years down the road. They, they don't care about that. They just they're only interested in the here and now. And I get that. I respect that. That if that's, if that's how you feel. Fine. I get it. I'm curious to see where this team is going. Like, I'm always interested in the draft because I want to see where what the future of this team holds, because the superstars that you're cheering for now at one point were name nameless, faceless rookies as well that you didn't know from a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. But they eventually became superstars because they were in the right system, they were in the right place, and they were given the right tools to become the superstars that you know and love. And who's to say in the next two, three years, the guys that were drafted this week could very well become those superstars. Or they could fade out into the night like so many other football players. But you know what? We won't know who will, who's going to be the, the superstar and who's going to be the no-name you know, until we actually see these guys on the field. And to me, part of the fun is seeing how the Alouettes draft and whether it lines up to what I think the, their needs are. To me, that was always the fun part of it. So to be able to not really be able to do it with that same gusto this year was disappointing. Like there was a couple of guys that I had seen the film of and I thought, OK, they could be a good fit. And wouldn't you know it, the BC Lions end up drafting those guys. And I'm laughing because like when the Alouettes make their picks, I'm, I'm listening. And oh, OK. Uh, oh, OK. Like there's a couple of times where I'm like, oh, really? Uh, are, are, are you sure? Like. I'm not necessarily doubting Danny Machocha because, again, this team last year did an amazing job with the draft. Yeah. 
and we're, we're one game away from going to the Grey Cup, like one converted touchdown away from going to the Grey Cup. So I'm not going to you know, sit and nitpick over the, the draft picks and the direction that this team was going in necessarily. But this year, like I, I like when I looked at this draft, I'm like, OK, uh, wow. Like, yeah, it kind of feels like Danny Machocha is playing with house money a little bit because I, th- I have to believe that some of the players that were drafted in, say, 2020, 2021 and even 2022. Now, a lot of those guys are starting to take that next step up or they're, for example, the guys that were drafted last year that went back to school are now going to come to camp and compete to be a part of the roster. And they will have that that little bit more experience of playing in uh, U-sports or NCAA and now are ready to take things on in a professional way. And maybe, just maybe, there just might be in so much depth in certain positions where you can almost say, like, you know what? Screw it. I'm, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to draft this guy. And, yeah, we may not see him for another year or two or possibly even ever. But we've got them. And if somehow they manage to make their way to Montreal – so much the better. Like the, the rich get richer, as they say. So, as far as when I looked at the, looked at the overall draft class of 2023, like there's a couple of moves that I, like I said, kind of left me scratching my head a little bit and trying to understand a little bit where the thought process is. And really, what it comes back to me is like it's not a bad draft class. It's just it's a, it's not a right now draft class. And that's probably where we were spoiled last year when it came to having Tyrell Richards and Tyson Philpott drafted in the first round. Those guys were able to start playing right away and you saw what Tyson Philpott did in 2022 had an outstanding rookie campaign and you're thinking okay who's going to be next who's going to be the guy that's going to be the Tyson Philpott of 2023 and it's so hard to say right now like right now you're just looking at these guys that were drafted and like "Mm, maybe but I don't know and yeah it's just it's just interesting like well we we got to break this down we got to we got to we got to bring JC in and we got to talk about this because as I said there's more questions and answers. So I'm, I'm hoping JC can shed a little bit of light on these guys uh, and maybe see if we can figure out if the Alouettes truly made uh, great moves or if they just made moves that were like just there to be made. Yeah. Well, it's a great segue too. So let's go ahead and bring JC in here. Uh, we'll talk about the draft. And uh, when we get back, we got a couple more uh, uh, quick thoughts uh, after the interview and uh, uh, then a little bit uh, of CFL news to finish up the show. The draft is over. We've got to find out about the guys that we drafted this uh, just yesterday. So what better way is to bring in a guy who knows all about the draft, all about the CFL. Can talk, obviously, about the Alouette specifically. J.C. Abbott from Three Down Nation. Hey, J.C., thanks for joining us again. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here, and it's always my pleasure to talk about the CFL draft. It is my favorite time of the year. Um, That's it. It's, it's just one of those things that year in and year out, it always provides a lot of surprises and a lot of twists at times. Like sometimes you think, okay, you've got it figured out, especially if you do mock drafts, you, you figure, okay, I know who so-and-so is going to pick. And then all of a sudden, no, someone else picks before them, or even these guys fall to places you never thought they would. So it's, it's a real roller coaster ride at times. It certainly is. I mean, it's, it's never easy to predict. You hear a bunch of things in the league up, of course, and some of it's the truth. Some of it is smoke screens that, Teams are feeding you to hope that in the hopes that you'll put it out there and confuse other teams so they can actually get the guy that they want later in the draft. And you sort of have to sort through all that nonsense to find the grain of truth. I think my colleague John Hodge does a, a really good job with his mock drafts and trying to, to peg where the guys will go. But at the end of the day, often with these organizations, there's one person making the decision and that's the person who's not talking. So even if the other people in the room have other preferences, 
the boss is going to make the call. And with the case of the uh, Alouettes, that's Daniel Machocho. How 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 hard is it to to really go by the you know the the rankings list? I mean, it's, when you guys go over your players and stuff like that, and when you you know and do your your you know your stories about it and stuff like that, how much stock do you take into those, or, or is it just a matter like you said, it's just a matter it's a it just take a dart and and th- you know take it and throw it at the dartboard. Uh, in, in terms of the mock drafting, uh, I I don't know how much like the the CFL scouting bureau rankings are to be taken with a serious grain of salt. Um, they are put out after polling all nine teams. So there is some justification in the rooms, but the reality is if you are a team that's extremely high on a guy and you, you believe you are higher than the rest and you really want him, why would you voluntarily put him on a list that's going to be put out to the entire league? and everybody's going to see it and it's going to be publicized so every other team in the league knows you're very high on them. You're going to go with sort of your Melba Toast takes, right? Mm-hmm. These are guys we know everybody likes. Uh, you know, they're talented players. It's not, it's not an arc on them, but it has very little to do with teams' actual draft boards. Now, it's a good indication. It's a good starting point. I put stock in my own board. I try to evaluate each of these players and, and accumulate it that way. It often differs from the top 20. But even then, you know, there's information that I'm not privy to, and these teams do far more work uh, than I do. And I do a, a lot of work on the draft process. So uh, there are always surprises. These are guys who go way higher than I expected. The name that, that comes to mind all the time, a few years ago was Edmonton taking Cole Nelson at fifth overall. That was a player that most teams in the league and myself had a sixth round grade on or lower, but they decided he was good enough to take with a first round pick. And then there's always guys that fall. And this year for me, that was uh, Evan Florin, the offensive lineman for, for Queens, who was on my top 25 list and fell all the way to pick number 57 with Saskatchewan. So clearly there was information there with him that teams knew about that, that I simply didn't. And so my evaluation of him was not as accurate as some of the other players, and, and he fell as a result, right? So it, it's a complicated process, to be sure. And obviously, if a team wants a player, and we don't see it all that often in, in the draft, a team will trade for a particular spot, and then you almost know that if, who, you may know your first one, two, or three, whatever it may be, however high they actually trade up to. So it's that's usually the only, I think the only time that we know that X player is going to, it'll be a given that X player is going to be drafted next. Yeah, that's, that's truly the only time when a guy is, uh, when, when that trade happens and you know certain teams have certain needs. And, and the one that always comes to mind was the 2020 draft when we saw the, the Calgary Stampeders pull the trigger on a trade with, or the BC Lions pull the trigger on a trade with the Calgary Stampeders right before the draft. And that was, of course, because everyone and their mother knew that Jordan Williams the linebacker uh, from Eastern Carolina was going to go first overall. And BC covered him highly. They wanted to go up, and, and Calgary was actually a little bit lukewarm on him. They liked him, but who they really liked was Ag- Isaac Agiemi Berglund, the, the southeastern Louisiana defensive lineman. And that's what everyone had heard was that he was the top of the Stampeders board. But they didn't want to take him at first overall um, because they thought they could get him later. So they moved down three spots they got some compensation from the lions and both teams ended up getting the guy that everybody knew they wanted so you could 
pencil in those picks almost the second the trade was made. When it comes to fans and stuff like that, I mean, we've seen it before. Um, you know, teams try to, to obviously they want to get players that they can bring in right away. But as we've seen potentially in, in past years, JC, is that teams are really going after, and I, I hate calling them future picks drafts because I think it's so boring that way because we're not going to, we may not see these players at all ever come to the CFL. But as a guy who's had, you know, so much history in, in watching the drafts, uh, how do you stand on, on, on those type of drafts? You know, a regular coming into camp, type of guy versus a guy that is going to be most likely a a futures pick that may or may not come into the CFL. My philosophy, if I were a GM is that early in the draft, I would want players that help me immediately that I will have in training camp. I think that is the best philosophy there, but ultimately futures picks are not a bad idea, especially once you get into round two, that's, that's where I'm comfortable taking them. Now teams will go, earlier and sometimes it pans out for them. I, I think two recent futures picks that we can point to as real success stories, the uh, the Toronto Argonauts went and grabbed Ryan Hunter in the first round a number of years ago. He spent a long time in the NFL. I mean, for years, we sort of considered that pick a bit of a bust because he was a UDFA and he stuck around with, you know, uh, first uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and then the Los Angeles Chargers, but eventually he did make his way to the CFL this past season, make an instant impact, and was starting for them in the Grey Cup. He's one of the top five highest-paid offensive linemen in the league next season, and deservedly so because he's an incredible talent. So that's a pick that they took way earlier that I sort of harped on at, at that particular stage and have harped on for the last four or five years but has now paid off in dividends for for the Toronto Argonauts. And then the Alouettes, of course, did something similar with Pierre-Olivier Lestage, who was a second-round pick. And I was almost certain that Lestage was good enough to stick in the NFL. I loved his tape coming out of the University of Montreal, but ultimately got hurt in camp with the Seahawks, didn't really get the chance to shine, and then made his way to the CFL last year after not a very long wait for the Alouettes organization and looked like an absolute star on that offensive line for Montreal. Um, So it paid off quite early for them in the process. And there's plenty of other players that you can point to that weren't success stories. Brett Boyko, of course, is the guy that comes to mind. NFL draft picks. Once a guy gets drafted rather than signed, then, of course, my appetite for the risk drops considerably because we've really only seen one or two guys in the last, you know, in in this millennia come back to the CFL after being drafted into the NFL. So I take those guys later on. They're much more of a risk, but it is appropriate because the reason why is these guys are such incredible talent that they've got the biggest league in the world interested in them. And so if you can add them, eventually at some point they are going to make your roster better and they're going to improve your team. And so you take that swing at some point, just because you know, the value that they can bring is higher than some of the later round guys that you can get right now, just in in terms of potential. Um, Okay. Start. I want to Start you off with before we get to the, the main list. I, I gotta ask any any comments on the, on the guys because I guess it it's been you know how people feel about the global draft itself. They're like, eh, 
eh, you know, it, it, some of some guys have really made impacts in the CFL. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the guys that the Owls picked up in the global draft? I, for one, am very surprised we <laughs> we drafted another punter, um, considering we, we just re-signed our guys. But uh, any thoughts on the two guys that the Owls picked up in the uh, global draft? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the global draft as a whole this year, I've, I've done a lot of work on it. Uh, I, I work with a, an organization called All22, the Global Scouting Network, that um, you know helps teams in Europe uh, connect with players. And we've done some, some work helping um, bring forward some names to the CFL in order to be entered in the global draft. I've been in conversation with a lot of these players and and been evaluating them for the last couple of months. So I'm very familiar with, with the talent pool. And once again, uh, on draft day, I, I came away extremely disappointed with the way that, that teams are handling it. There's a real stark difference between the teams that you can see are taking it seriously and the other teams that, quite frankly, are, are just throwing away draft picks. Uh, I really didn't like some of the selections. I thought some of them bordered on irresponsible. Uh, especially considering there's a couple of players who went undrafted who have legitimate NFL opportunities uh, as global players, and, and they are not going to be on a CFL roster. And, and to me, when you're drafting, you know, and this is going to call out Edmonton a little bit, but a 36-year-old converted soccer player kicker who hit 58% accuracy in college um, over guys who can legitimately help you at other positions, uh, that's a red flag for me, right? That's not, that's not good drafting. That's not good strategy. And I think there's a number of teams that you can point to making some pretty suspect decisions. Uh, the Alouettes weren't really one of them. I'm sort of lukewarm on their draft. Simon Sandberg, the Oregon State defensive tackle who they took in the first round. I'm not as high on him as the Alouettes are. He ended up being my 13th ranked um, position player available there's another defensive tackle who went undrafted and actually has a, a mini camp invite from the washington commanders a, a kid from from yale named adam rainey who i liked better than sandberg i just thought there were some limitations on his film where he didn't he looked sort of uh, meandering as a pass rusher i didn't see the value there but certainly a guy who's played over 40 games of ncaa uh division one uh, competition, uh, and you know we'll be able to come into camp and compete with your Americans. And in all honesty, he looked much better than I expected him to at the CFL Combine, showed more twitch. He's just really short-armed, uh, and that, that hurts you when you're a defensive lineman and you're trying to create extension away from offensive linemen. And, and then Reese Burns, uh, the, the punter from Louisiana, is a very, very good punter. Um, certainly one of the top ones available in this class. Now, you can critique the outlet um, for making that pick just simply because they already have Joseph Zima there, who they've recently signed to an extension. And I believe Joel Whitford is still on the roster as well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for training camp. So Burns, if he signs this year, which is always an if, I'm, I'm sure he's going to have some NFL minicamp invites uh, invites as well, um, then he's potentially a guy who gets cut or practice rostered. But if Zima tweaks a hamstring in week one of training camp, I'm, I think you're pretty happy to have a guy like him available to you in that situation. Uh, so were there better players they could have taken? I think so. Uh, they're not the choices I would have made. 
But when you compare it to some of the other teams and the decisions they made, uh, it's certainly not the most egregious uh, global draft that uh, of any of the nine CFL franchises. I also think it's. So that's, that, that's, sorry, I, I'm just one thing they can take take a clip. I, I find it funny that we now have both of our punters are global are global players. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I mean the, the Aussies are legit, um, and people like to harp on, oh, this is a punter draft, and all these Australian punters, and you're killing the Canadian punter. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily fair or a fair critique. Uh, you're killing the bad Canadian punter, and there was a lot of bad ones. Let's not. Let's not dance, uh, dance around the issue here. Mm-hmm. Kicking has improved since the global program. There's not a lot of things you can point at from the global program and say, oh, this has made the league better. The punting in the league is the best it's ever been. Guys like Zima and Cody Grace in Calgary and Josh Haggerty, uh, or John Haggerty, sorry, uh, with the Toronto Argonauts are elite punters, guys who get workouts from NFL teams after the season and were legitimate prospects and and they bring value to these teams so i i don't blame teams for going punter i think it's also been proven that if you can find a contributing global player who can play a position and be involved in the rotation like the other hansen and winnipeg has been at defensive end or people to buy was last year at defensive tackle for the bc lions those guys make your team better and if you can find them hopefully sandberg is that uh for the Alouettes and exceeds my expectations and can be in that defensive line rotation, spell off some of their Americans inside. Um, but there, there is value to be had there. It's just not every team seems to be approaching it with the seriousness uh, that others are. Let's see. Let's just look and see how well our global pick uh, pick does versus, let's say, the uh, the guy that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers picked up from the Arena League and, and from Albany because he can kick. I've seen this dude kick. Mm-hmm. So it makes you wonder, you get somebody on a free agent, out of free agency, and that we have to, do I dare say waste a pick? It's hard to say when it global, it's the global draft, but I mean, you know, it, it'll be very interesting to see if the guy actually makes the, makes the roster. So, Cliff. All right. I was just going to say, like, uh, the prevailing thought when it comes to the draft in general is you can never draft too many Canadian offensive linemen. I think for the global draft, I guess now the, the thought is you can never draft too many Australian punters. <laughs> It's a fair comparison. (laughs) All right. So let's delve into this uh, draft of the Alouettes. Uh, I mean, I think a a lot of people were kind of surprised by a lot of Danny Matoch's picks uh, for various number of reasons. But uh, let's go through each of these picks and just give us a a, – for for people that are listening, just to give an idea of – Maybe some of the thought process behind what Machocho was thinking when taking these guys, because as I said, mm-hmm. there's a couple of names on this list that I'm in, really intrigued by, and there's a couple of names I'm just kind of like, uh, I don't know, this is a reach or at least a, a gamble. So as Tim was saying, like a lot of these, a lot of these picks kind of scream futures as far as will we see these guys ever play for the Alouettes? So there's there's definitely a lot to to, to break down here. Mm. Let's start with. Yeah, let's uh, Let's start with uh, Jonathan Sutherland, who is the the first of Montreal's two first round picks uh, out of Penn State, the defensive back. Uh, the big thing with this guy is, yeah, the, his tape is phenomenal. Uh, the, the the measurables are great. Uh, I mean, I, I liked everything I saw, but he also is a he signed as an undrafted free agent with the Seattle Seahawks. So don't expect to see him in camp this year, folks. But uh, why is this a great pick, and why is this? Why, why do you think that uh, Danny Machocha went in this direction with uh, with Sutherland? Well, I 
I know the whispers in the league and our, our understanding at three down before the draft was that Sutherland was a player that the Alouettes were targeting. Now, we thought that was going to be with pick seven, their, their second pick in the first round. They took him off the board first. They grabbed him at number five. Um, and as, as a player, he deserves to be that pick or higher. Um, this is a guy who was a four-star recruit coming out of high school, one of the, the top Canadian recruits in his year, attended Penn State University, basically made an instant impact, was immediately in the rotation as a freshman, um, played five productive seasons there. He was never really a, a full-time starter, guys, but he carved out a role for himself uh, in the defense every single season as a, a hybrid safety linebacker, come in for certain packages, play in the slot, he can cover a little bit, Really great instincts and physicality in the box. Uh, a lot of twitch to him. Nice hips. He can drop into coverage for you. He can come downhill and make a tackle. But also an exceptional special teamer, one of the best in the NCAA in that regard, which actually earned him a special number at Penn State. They they gave him the number zero, which they are now giving annually to the player that you know, best represents um, – you know, commitment on special teams and unheralded leadership. That's Jonathan Sutherland. You talk to anybody with the Nitt- Nittany Lions and they revere this guy in a way. I don't know if I've ever heard people talk about a player, his leadership, the way he carries himself, the work he puts in. All of these are boxes he checks. Now, as a defensive player, I don't think there was a big market for him south of the border, but he signs with the Seattle Seahawks because of what he can potentially do on special teams. You have to think of him as a special teams only guy making a roster. Yeah, he'll give you depth. He can play competently on defense if you need him to, but he's going to go down and chase kicks like a Matthew Slater and make a Pro Bowl in that regard, right? That's what the Seahawks are potentially seeing in Jonathan Sutherland. Now, that's a hard path onto a roster. So it makes sense that he is the first futures pick off the board because I think he is the most likely to get cut by his NFL team the soonest. But that doesn't mean it's not a risk here for the Alouettes. And I think it's um, it's a little rich for my blood at, at five with that risk. You're, you're not going to get him for at least until September potentially longer. Um, and when you look at their roster, uh, he can fill in a, di- a bunch of different spots, but um, potentially a starter at, at weak side or Sam linebacker, he can fill the void left by the retirement of Chris Ackie. But the question with that becomes, well, if they didn't want to play Chris Ackie on defense, why would they play this guy? <laughs> right. The, that was the knock uh, on Noel Thorpe because he didn't want to put a Canadian at, at his position. Does he believe Jonathan Sutherland is, is good enough to overcome that and potentially start. You would have to certainly think so if they're going to grab him at five, knowing there's a risk that they won't ever see him. Mm. Yeah. To me, that, that, that was a surprising pick for sure. Just because, yeah, I mean, the, the guy is a phenomenal player and definitely, as you said, checks a lot of boxes, but he's got an NFL contract. So, I, I mean, yeah, if this was a later pick, uh, you could almost understand. But as you said, the, the likelihood of him being around even like later in the first round is slim to none. So in that sense, I think Montreal did what they had to do. But I, I kind of agree with you. Maybe if they did that with the seventh pick, which they ended up using on defensive lineman Lawal Ugoak. I hope I pronounced that right from TCU. Uh, this guy. Wow. I mean, he 
this is a guy I think could definitely cause a lot of havoc for the Alouettes. He's a he's a really interesting one for me, and and a player I'm perhaps uh, not as high on as some other people. There's just some red flags for me, and and I'll take take you through the reasons why. I really liked him early on in his career. Um, kid from Edmonton ends up attending the University of Connecticut, the UConn Huskies, and is primarily a defensive tackle. Though he he rushed from a variety of different alignments, and he was productive early on. He's got you know, good length, uh, a decent size. You saw some twitch. You saw some athleticism from him at the position. Maybe not the strongest dude. Got bounced around a little bit. Spends too much time on the ground, um, but was certainly a, a top player for that UConn defense. Uh, and then they didn't play in 2020 uh, because of the pandemic. He had sort of a down year in 2021, and then opts to enter the transfer portal and try and show his skill set off at a, a bigger program, ends up committing to Texas Christian University, the TCU Horn Frogs, who, of course, we all know, went to the national championship last year and lost to the Georgia Bulldogs. So he's playing for a legit college football powerhouse last season, and he really struggled to see the field, took some rotational reps, especially early in the season, uh, really didn't carve out a role for himself, ended up with just nine tackles on the season. Um, and when you look at a guy making a jump in competition like that and not excelling, it's a bit of a concern for me. Um, people might give him a pass. And again, people uh, develop at different rates. And sometimes you need more than a year to, to get yourself adjusted. Um, but ultimately, uh, you want productive college players. Uh, and the jump from UConn to TCU is going to be um, much less than jump from TCU to the CFL. So to me, it's a red flag that he struggled last year. And he also cut a bunch of weight, it should be noted. He weighed in at 261 pounds uh, during the combine process. Uh, it didn't help him athletically. He still tests like a defensive tackle. I think he needs to get up to 275, 280 to be effective, and he needs to play inside. He, he just doesn't have enough bend, in my mind, to play the edge like he wants to. So you're looking at a guy who's going to have to add a little bit to his frame over the next year and really grind um, to to be a productive player for the Alouettes. But again, the high-end tape that you saw at UConn and the level of competition that he's faced, those are legit, right? And if you can get the player that he was at UConn, you're talking about a guy who can be an impact player inside for you and contribute from a variety of alignments as a pass rusher. Hmm. All right. Now let's focus on to the second round. The Alouettes select David Dallaire from the University of Laval, Vanier Cup champion. Uh, I mean, definitely, once again, a lot of things that look good, but at the same time, pardon me, the, uh, my first instinct when this pick was announced was you probably could have gotten him in the fourth round and still done okay. So what what was it about David Dallaire that made it so enticing that the Alouettes had to get him almost immediately? I think what separates him from maybe the other fullbacks, and, and we'll get uh, uh, into some of the, the other options maybe a bit later on, because, of course, the Alouettes ended up taking two fullbacks in this draft. Uh, David Dallaire is an incredible pass catcher. He played uh, sort of a hybrid H-back tight end role in that Laval Rouge War offense. Um, Rag a lot of routes, has great ball skills, uh, great contested catch guy, gives you a lot of versatility. I think his ceiling guys 
I, if I can drop a name, it would be like a Patrick Lavoie um, and what he used to be able to do in terms of aligning himself out in the slot and being a true receiver as a size mismatch. Now, Delaire needs to add weight to his frame. He's really, really skinny at six foot three and, and 220 pounds. You probably want him up to, to two, 230, 240 to really be effective in that role. He's going to have to build out his frame. And his athletic numbers, I think a lot of people expected them to be much better than they were at the CFL Combine. And so I think some of the public opinion soured on him just a little bit because he came in so skinny and he wasn't necessarily uh, head and shoulders above the other players at his position in terms of what he could do athletically. But Danny Machocha has seen him up close and personal, of course, uh, and he was so versatile for Laval. I mean, this is a guy who was their short yardage quarterback and ran all sorts of trick plays from that position. That's how much the Rougeau trusted David Delaire in offensive situations to make plays. He's going to be physical for you. And if you can develop him and his frame can truly be a mismatch uh, at the next level. So kind of like a, a Swiss army knife, if you will, for the Alouettes. Exactly. Yeah. One of those guys, you can line up directly in the backfield. You can line him up offset. You can line him up in line, or you can flex him out into the slot, wherever you think the weakness is on that defense that you can exploit with size, right? Think about, uh, you try and find the guy who's five, nine and 180 pounds in the secondary. And then you flex out, hopefully a David Delaire who's six, three and two forty, And you tell him to go run a route. He's going to box that guy out like a basketball player and haul down the ball and make some, some key plays for you. But like much like Patrick Lavoie, uh, did in, in for those great Red Blacks teams uh, in the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty good comparison. I mean, Patrick Lavoie also to a, an Alouette's draft pick way, way back in the day and then ended up mm-hmm. finishing his career there. So not a terrible uh, not a terrible comparison. Uh, now we go to the fourth round. Uh, Theo Grant from Queens. Uh, once again, you can never have too many good outstanding offensive linemen. And uh, what is it about Theo Grant that uh, Alouette's fans should be looking at? Well, he's, uh, he's probably a guy that ends up going back to school after training camp. I have a, a hard time imagining him sticking around this year with how much talent the Alouettes have along their offensive line, but certainly a prospect I'm really high on the potential down the line of. Um, the big knock on him is size. He's six foot three, but he only weighs 280 pounds. That's just not big enough for a professional offensive lineman. So he's going to have to, you know, uh, pound some Big Macs and a, a few uh, chocolate milkshakes before training camp, get his weight up, and they'll probably send him back to school to uh, on a nutrition and, and weightlifting program to get him up to the size they want. But his athleticism is incredible, and I think he is remarkable with how active his feet are. Not only is he quick out of his stance and getting into positioning his blocks, but he runs his feet like a madman. Now he's not necessarily, you know, strong uh, in this way, but if you think of like uh, the blind side movie and Michael Orr, like running the guy off the field or something like that, he's not going to do that physically because he's not as strong, but his feet are going to act like he is like he is going to get into your chest 
and drive and drive and drive and drive until until after the echo of the whistle. He's not just a guy who's going to get position and leverage you. And so teams really love that. And they love the athleticism that he brings. I think he projects as a center uh, at the next level uh, was a guy who started at both tackle spots for Queens. That's how athletic he is. He just doesn't have the length for it as, as a CFL player. But if you stick him at center, the way he moves, I think he could be a really, really good player in a couple of years. If he can add 15 more pounds to his body. So, Really, truly, the Alouettes need to also hire a nutrition, uh, an anti-nutritionist, someone that's just going to force feed these guys all kinds of junk food and just bulk them up, right? <laughs> well, I, I, I think it, it's uh, you don't want it to be bad weight, right? Sometimes bad weight is uh, is worse than no weight at all. You don't want them to come out looking like me, okay? You want them to come out looking spelt but thick. Um, uh, so Theo Grant uh, will need to. Uh, I'll probably, you know, pound some steaks and, and uh, you know, hit the gym. There'll be a program to get them up to weight. Uh, uh, it's remarkable what some of these players are able to do with the right program and how much weight they're able to add. Um, you know, the name that always jumps out to me, and this is completely an aside because he's not an Alouette's draft pick, but the third overall pick this year um, out of UBC for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Lake Corte Moore, the guy I've gotten to know over this process. He came into the University of British Columbia at 215 pounds. He is now 264 pounds, and he's still adding weight to be able to play D-tackle in the CFL. And he is good, good weight. Like, he's thick and muscular uh, in, his, in, in his frame. Um, so you can do it the right way, and you can look like a Greek god while still adding massive amounts of weight to your body. Wow. Good point. Good point. All right. Into the fifth round we go. The Alouettes had two draft picks, and they spent them on both Jacob Mason from McMaster, another fullback, because I guess now the thought is now you can't have too many fullbacks if you're the Montreal Alouettes, as well as uh, Shedler Fervius, a receiver from St. Mary's. Uh, These two guys, I'll be completely honest, I haven't been able to find a whole lot on, so by all means, if you can inform this listenership as to what to expect from these two guys. Well, I'll, I'll start with Jacob Mason and, and I'll start with a question for you guys. How family friendly is this podcast? Like what, what sort of words am I allowed to drop here? Go uh, for it. I say go for it. <laughs> there you okay. Go. Well, well, my, uh, my draft note that I have for Jacob Mason is he plays like an absolute prick. Uh, that's the best way to describe his game. Uh, I love it. Uh, he was like that at the CFL combine, uh, relentless, nasty, mean, really good special teams player, but a great blocker on offense as well. Uh, he'll bury his nose into your chest, get his hands on you, will not let go, will not stop driving his feet. The whistle's gone. He's still trying to wrestle guys to the ground. He is mean and nasty. Uh, he frustrates his opponents. Um, I think he plays a little bit on the edge. You're going to have to watch about his uh, holding calls for him and maybe refine that technique, but he's going to be a really good fullback in the CFL, a guy who can be elite on special teams and and potentially contribute as a lead blocker as well. I know um, the Alouettes already have James Tuck and Alexander Gagne on their roster. Those are probably two guys that are getting a little bit up there in age. You don't know how long they will still be effective for. Jacob Mason is is a true upgrade there. Uh, obviously, David Dallaire 
is a, a much different type of player is going to play a different role. But this is your traditional CFL fullback. Um, and the guy who is going to be your core special teamer and, and a, a guy I believe could play for a really, really long time in this league because of the way he approaches the game uh, and his sort of relentless effort and mentality. And then Shane Fervius, uh, maybe a, a bit of a surprise uh, for some people. He was essentially off uh, the draft radar because he did not attend school last year. He had some academic issues at St. Mary's University, uh, was not able to, uh, to go to school, and so he did not receive a, a CFL combine invite of any kind, rather uh, national or invitational, uh, which, quite frankly, uh, I think was an omission. Uh, and a mistake by the league. He should have been allowed to test because he would have tested extremely well. He did attend the East-West Bowl last year, uh, and at 199 pounds, he uh, broad-jumped over 10 feet and 5 inches. He would have been one of the most athletic dudes available uh, or testers at the CFL Combine had he been there. Um, Nice thick frame, maybe not an elite route runner or somebody who dominated at St. Mary's, but showed a really good ability to make plays once the ball was in his hand and has a lot of uh, lots of traits that you like to see with that explosiveness and that twitch uh, and the thickness in his body. I'm not sure he's a, a future starter in the receiving core, but w- when you look beyond Tyson Philpott and, and Kayon Julian Grant, it's pretty slim picking in Montreal right now, right? You've got Regis Sibasu, who eh, has played some fullback as well, I guess, and then Jake Hardy, who's probably be- past his best before date, but can still contribute in, in some ways for the team. Shedler Fervius gives them a guy who athletically is going to be able to compete at that level and potentially be developed, help on special teams as well. He, he's been more of a returner in college, but I think he's physical enough and thick enough that he can chase down kicks. Okay. It's funny because the... Uh for the longest time, the national receiver position just to me felt like the redheaded stepchild for the Montreal Alouettes. They just got no love. But then along comes Kayon Julian Grand and Tyson Philpot, and they pretty much set set the field on fire last year with the their outstanding play. So I'm not saying that Shedler Fervius has big shoes to fill because it's not about filling shoes necessarily. But I mean to be able to to be able to hang with these guys, it's going to be you know easier said than done. So I think he's definitely got his work cut out for him in that sense. Yeah. I, I, and the reality is because those shoes are so, uh, so big, like they need to add a receiver at some point in this draft, just because they don't have the depth in behind those two guys. And I think they'll both start for them next year. So if one of those guys goes down, uh, you're in a bit of an awkward situation of, of trying to flip your weight ratio. I, I mean, at this point, what you do, like if, if Julian Grant goes down in the middle of the game, knock on wood, and you've got to put another Canadian starter on offense, you're talking about benching William Stanback for Deshaun Antwi. Like that's, mm. that's what you're talking about. You don't want to be forced to do that in the middle of a critical game. You need somebody who you can at least trust enough to stand out at the field side wideout spot and run a go route and, and, and do the things you need to do at that position, even if they're not catching a bunch of balls. So they needed some bodies there. They find, I think, some value at pick number 41. Actually, mm-hmm. I, what about this, though? Do you think they picked him up because ever since Herbie Mayala was released by the USFL, he's gone dark. Do you think Fervius was picked up to replace Mayala at wideout? 
Well, I, I think he's, he's been picked up to, to replace the the void in terms of uh, the player not being there. I don't think he's, he's going to be a direct replacement. He's not the player that Hurry Mayala is right now. I think hopefully as if you're the Alabets, you want Mayala back. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's been ruled out at all. Um, but it, it's, it's not a guest start for you, in my opinion. Uh, not right now and, and potentially not ever. I mean, this is still a big projection, but athletically there are traits there that you like and you hope you can refine them and polish them uh, and take them to the next level. Now, with the seven-round pick, I, I think Danny Machocha really saw the value in drafting a twin last year and how well that worked. So maybe that was his thought when it came to drafting Chase Brown of the famous Brown Twins of London, Ontario. Uh, once again, uh, very much a futures pick in the sense that Chase Brown was selected in the fifth round by the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, realistically, is there any remote possibility, like barring something catastrophic, is there any remote possibility of seeing Chase Brown with the Alouettes, say, in 2025? I, I mean, certainly, I think there there is that possibility. Um, now, he was drafted in, in the fifth round by the Cincinnati Bengals of the NFL draft, and he is a damn good football player. This is a guy who was fourth in the NCAA in rushing a year ago. Um, more of a downhill, straight line back, uh, one-cut guy, slashes for yards, doesn't necessarily miss, uh, make, make you miss on tackles, but runs through them um, really fast, really explosive. Uh, he goes in the fifth round because the running back position, position in the NFL is, is not as valued as it once was, and there was a whole lot of running backs who went off the board before him as well, so this is a player that the NFL likes, but isn't necessarily in love with. Um, a player who is going to compete for more of a depth rotational role with the Bengals. He's not going to unseat Joe Mixon as the starting running back anytime soon. Um, and because of how replaceable that position has been in the National Football League, um, I don't hate the idea of drafting a late-round futures pick Um of a drafted NFL running back. Because the reality is if he doesn't see the field in the right situation and he, you know, doesn't Nixon takes all the carries and then three years from now, the, or the, the Bengals don't extend him and he hits the open market. There's going to be 400 guys who are exactly the same, who are at, on the free agent market at the same time. And maybe he doesn't get that opportunity. And it's very realistic at that stage that he might be looking for other options. Now, I like Chase Brown as a player. I, I hope the best for him, right? And I think he'll be able to achieve that and stick in the NFL and be productive, just like Chuba Hubbard has. And I said the same thing when Chuba Hubbard was drafted back then, um, that this is the type of guy you can take a swing on as a CFL team because of the position that he plays, knowing that of all the positions on a CFL roster, the one with the most amount of former NFL draft picks who end up making their way to Canada, it's running back because of the way that position is running back followed by defensive back. Those are the ones where you can actually bring in former NFL draft picks fairly quickly after their careers have started in the national football league within three or four years. And if that happens with chase Brown, you're talking about adding a guy who can be a ratio breaking league leading rusher for you in the backfield. Mm-hmm. 
And last but certainly not least, the Montreal Alouettes, with their quote-unquote Mr. Irrelevant, ended up selecting Maxim Lavallee from Laval. Uh, now, it's interesting. The Alouettes always seem to do pretty decent when it comes to their, their last pick of the draft, whether it's uh, uh, Luc Brodeur-Jordain, uh, mm. Brock Gowan-Lock, or even Zach Lindley last year came out of nowhere and became a very noticeable part for the Alouettes. Uh, what do you see in Maxim Lavallee that suggests that he could be joining that particularly elite group? I, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me if he, if he does, honestly. Uh, he's a player uh, that... Frankly, it, if you just look at it from a pure tape and football standpoint, he is much better than pick number 68 in the draft. Like he's a better football player than that. A former RCQ Rookie of the Year, four-year starter for the Rouge or um, a guy who's twitchy, who's got all the athletic traits that you look for, who's physical and flies into tackles with reckless abandon. I like him a whole lot. The only problem, the drawback, is he's five foot eight, 190 pounds, and typically that just doesn't play uh, in, in the CFL uh, in terms of a Canadian defensive back because the way that we know, we all know you have to make the roster is on special teams, and when you're that size, your arms are short and you don't have much weight to your frame, and you can get run out pretty easily, and so it's difficult to make a team as a special teams player when you're that small. Like everything you see from Maxim Lavalle, uh, the way he approaches the game uh, screams to me an exception to that rule. Like he's a guy who can break the mold, similar to what Zach Lindley did last year, because Zach Lindley, the knock on him was he just wasn't thick enough. He wasn't big enough. Uh, and he ends up going in round eight and then doing what he did as a rookie on special teams for the Alouettes and, and truly being one of the better special teams players in the league last year. Uh, I'm not sure if, if Lava is going to do that right away, but certainly they needed some depth at that safety position. And, and I really like him as a player. He's a, a great local kid um, that deserves this opportunity based on what he's been able to do uh, at the university level, and and I would not be shocked if he surprised everyone. Hmm. All right. So overall, what grade would you give this uh, particular draft class in twenty twenty three for the Alouettes? Oh, uh, tough question. I I haven't ranked them all, so it's tough to do. I I would say they're sort of in the middle for me, maybe a, a C plus B minus type of grade. Uh, there's some picks that I don't love. I don't love the Ugoac pick. Obviously, I, I talked about some of my issues with that. Uh, two futures, that's a little bit hard to swallow. And they're adding uh, maybe guys that can't help them right away or were not in super valuable positions, maybe some projects. So it's not the best draft out there, but certainly they're going to they're gonna get some value on special teams from guys like Delaire and Mason right away. Uh, and there is the potential for those two first-round picks to really, uh, really shine. Right, both of them have very high ceiling. Uh, if Ugolak can can overcome some of his limitations and, and add some weight, and if Sutherland comes back from the NFL sooner than people expect, then those could be true impact players for the LOS defense for years to come. Um, it's just that that they both carry a little bit more risk than maybe I would like to take that early in the draft okay all right well listen there's a, there's definitely a lot to be excited about if you're an alouettes fan i mean like i said some of these picks you just never know right i mean that, that's kind of the fun of the draft too is 
you can do all the research. You can, you know, prognosticate as much as you can. You you think this is going to either work or it's not going to work. And until they get on the field, I mean, that that's really going to be the true test is whether or not these were great picks or not. So to me, I, I think that's one of the exciting things about training camp is hopefully getting to see some of, if not all of these guys in action and get to really decide whether this, these were great selections or they were just not great selections. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the exciting thing. And I always wrap up my, my draft coverage by, by saying, look, any players or, 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 or family members of players listening, uh, it doesn't matter what I say, and it doesn't matter where you were drafted uh, uh, yesterday, right? It matters what you do next. And there are so many stories in this league of guys who were drafted late who had tremendous careers, and sometimes <laughs> careers you don't expect. My favorite story, of course, the great uh, Dave Sticky Stala, who went with the final pick in the CFL draft in his year as a punter. They didn't even want to give him a shot at receiver. And of course, he ends up being a very productive pass catcher over his CFL career. Um, there are lots of guys you can point to like that who went late or sometimes not even at all and still had productive careers. It's all about the opportunity and what you do with it. There's absolutely no question about that. Well, JC. Once again, you, you killed it. You, you brought the knowledge. You brought the insight. You brought everything that we needed to help get just a little bit more excited about this draft class in 2023. Uh, if people don't know, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Twitter guy, so uh, follow me at the JC Abbott, and you can find my work uh, on 3downnation.com, and uh, I encourage you uh, to, to check that out as well. If you want to hear my live analysis, of every pick of the CFL draft that is available on three down nations YouTube page. We went on for three and a half hours uh, on Tuesday night, breaking down every single selection. So you can check that out as well. Right. And once again, you and Justin Dunk really did an outstanding job. I mean, people tune into TSN because it's, whether it's habit forming or what have you, they, or just that that's to them, their first inclination is to toward, turn towards TSN. But truthfully, you guys did a phenomenal job. You broke down everything the way it was supposed to be done. And like I said, you you helped, helped me get excited because a lot of these guys truly I didn't know about. But just hearing the, what you guys had to say about uh, so-and-so just really made made a lot of these picks make a little bit more sense. So I appreciate that as, as someone who does appreciate the draft for what it is. And again, you guys, as always at 3Down, you guys are killing it. So just keep up the good work. And we definitely appreciate you joining us here on the Flight Deck this evening. I, I appreciate those comments and I appreciate you having me on once again. It's a blast as always. JC was, was with us last year, Cliff, to preview this year. He was with us to uh, to uh, go ahead and, uh, and to review how the Alouettes did. Uh, it just, you know, with them doing what they did for their uh, for their live broadcast last night, just to break it down how the Alouettes did, uh, it was it was a it was a breath of fresh air to be able to hear somebody else's view rather than just fans alone to see you know talk about how the Alouettes did in this draft. Yeah, uh, definitely thankful that JC was able to come in and as I said, shed some light on some of these picks because truthfully, I, I, I I'm disappointed in myself that I wasn't able to you know I, I could have applied myself a little bit more as far as trying to get to know a lot of the players beforehand, and that's on me. But JC was able to come in and help you know, kind of break down these guys a little bit more and at least give you a reason to be excited for certain players. And I know there's a couple of moves that he too was kind of left scratching his head with. So 
you know, I, they always say trust the process, right? When it comes to the draft, like trust the process in anything when it comes to sports. And realistically, I think Danny Machocha truly has earned the right to, you know, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. I, I think he, overall he's drafted pretty well the past couple of years. And if if these are the guys that he says are going to be potentially impact players for the Montreal Alouettes going forward, then I say put them on the field and let's see what they do. Simple as that. Yeah, I agree. And by the way, one of the things that I hinted at, at the, uh, before the interview is that, you know, if you see saw, if you saw any of the coverage that Joey Alfieri did, by the way, great job by Joey too, uh, two hours during the, uh, during the first round, um, he had uh, an interview with our first round pick, uh, Jonathan Sutherland. And they talked about, you know, you know, with him signing a an unrestricted, uh, you know, free agency contract, uh, you know, non-draft contract with the Seattle Seahawks. And yet today, Joey tweets out this afternoon that Alouette's first rounder, Jonathan Sutherland, GM Danny Machocha and head coach Jason Moss will meet the media at Olympic Stadium tomorrow at 11 a.m. What? <laughs> See, this is what doesn't make any sense. And obviously it'll be shit. And obviously when you guys hear this, we may find out already what's going on. But it doesn't make any sense to me currently. Why would you bring in a player who currently is under, as far as we know, is under contract with the Seattle Seahawks, is making money with the Seattle Seahawks? Yes, we understand it was our first round pick. But why do you bring in a, potentially bring in a player to meet the media um, if he signed with another league and may not be with us for an next period of time unless, and this is just all speculation, they're going to announce that he actually has signed a contract with the Montreal Alouettes. But he can't. Like, I know. It just it, This is why this doesn't make any sense. Now, we've reached out to a couple of our sources to see if we, see if we can get some information. If we do before the, uh, you know, before the thing tomorrow, we'll put it out on our socials. You know, follow us over at Alouettes FL Deck uh, or Cliff or myself on, on, uh, on Twitter. But I agree with you. It just, to me, it makes no sense in the world to put so much pomp and circumstance into this type of thing if you're not going to make an announcement. He's not a local guy. I would understand it if he was one, if, if it were one of the, one of the guys locally or one of the guys, you know, from that was drafted from you, Laval. To me, it just does not make any sense. It's definitely unorthodox. There's no question about that. I, I mean, the fact that you're basically putting him out to the media, introducing him, if you will, as your, you know, the, the first draft pick taken, you know, this week. But yeah, this guy is not going to be at training camp, uh, may not be with the team at all this year. I mean, we, we just don't know what's going to happen. And again, signing as an undrafted free agent doesn't guarantee anything other than the opportunity to go to camp and to see if the team likes what uh, you have to offer. So, I mean, for all we know, Jonathan Sutherland could go there, you know, play lights out football and really impress them and ends up actually making the team and going to going to the training camp, the actual NFL training camp and making the team could happen. Or he could make the process roster also could happen. Or they could invite him to a couple of the uh, the, the, the mini camps and decide, you know what? Mm, no, this this isn't going to work. This is you're not the you're not who we thought you were. So, you know, see you later. That could definitely happen as well. And if that were the case, then yeah, at least Jonathan Sutherland would know that he can come back to Montreal, sign with the Alouettes, and get the opportunity to show what he can do. But on the surface, yeah, uh, the idea of bringing out a essentially another league's player, even though you have the rights to him, is bizarre, quite frankly. I, I, if there's a motive, I'm, I'm curious to know what it is. I mean, other than the fact that you're just advertising the fact that, hey, we drafted this guy with our first pick, and 
okay, cool. That's what <laughs> you, you could have mentioned that on your social media pages and, and whatnot, but you don't have to have a whole big press conference just for that. So it, it makes, that, it, make, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Like this is the kind of thing you would do to introduce someone like, Hey, you know, fans get excited about this guy. He's going to be playing for us, but playing for us this year, not maybe one day he might play for us. If, if his NFL dream doesn't work out, like again, it, it the, the whole premise of a interview, you know, or a press conference, I should say, for, for someone like this just doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's puzzling. I mean, let's be honest. In 2023, the Alouettes have made a lot of puzzling moves. <laughs> I, I, I think it's fair to say that. And this just seems to be yet another log on a very bizarre fire. And I, I wish I had an answer, but we'll, I guess we'll, we'll have it at 11 a.m. on Thursday. Yep. I, if nothing else, you, this now became must see TV, if you will. Like now, now you're going to have to tune in and find out why the hell are the Alouettes trotting out a guy who is under contract to another league's football team? Tune in. I know it just. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Again, we'll again we'll find it. We can we can always say so much how this this is head shakingly weird. But again, we'll find out tomorrow. At 11, we'll find out Thursday at eleven a.m. What this is all about? Yeah, I don't get it. I I just really don't get it. Now, my dude, and they didn't do this last year with Tyson Philpot. They didn't do this. No, nope. and he was our number one guy. And he he again was not under contract with any NFL team. So I mean, we, you knew he was going to be at training camp mm-hmm. as a member of the Alouettes. We'll find out. We've seen some crazier things happen in the CFL and with the Alouettes over the years. So may, this may be just another one that will you know we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, folks. As, as I said, you got to tune into the press conference and find out what the Alouettes are thinking. <laughs> exactly. Big news for the CFL. You know, there it's always been. It was being uh, teased by Randy Ambrosi for a multitude of weeks. Uh, we finally found out at least what seems to be one portion of the new uh, U.S. Uh, broadcasting partner. Uh, it was announced that. Uh, CBS Sportsnet is going to be the home for the CFL. Um, it's what's funny is that it's only going to be 34 games currently uh, that are going to be broadcast on traditional television. Uh, it's a multi-year deal, and it was then reported later on um, by I think a couple of the guys. I think Farhan Naji was one of them. Where this will this is going to be worth a million at least a million dollars to the CFL. Um, my first question, and it's just because I've I've dealt with being seeing CBS Sports Network when you know for my days with the Arena League, is that and versus ESPN, it's a step down. And the the only reason why I say that is this: yes, money I understand is is coming in, uh, which is a huge plus, which is a lot more than what they were getting with the ESPN deal. Uh, is that it, it's just not in as many homes? CBS Sports Network in the United States is not in as many homes, but from what we understand, there's going to be more promotion. There's going to be, uh, who knows what they're going to do. I mean, will they use their own, will they use just the TSN feed or will they use the video feed and use their own uh, graphics package? Will they Will they get guys to actually call the games? We don't know. That, that would be very interesting, actually. Um, but, you know, all in all, I mean, and plus, plus Paramount Plus, by the way, it could easily be a huge factor in this. For those of you who don't know, Paramount Plus is their streaming platform in the, you know, that is available, U.S., Canada, et cetera. Um, 
what are your thoughts on this, Cliff? Because obviously it's only 34 games and it has some of the big games, obviously. Uh, you know, it's including the, the season opener. It's including Canada, you know, the game versus Winnipeg at Montreal. Uh, the Labor Day Classics. Thanksgiving Day in Montreal. Uh, when you heard this, what were your first thoughts? Well, I mean, the fact that there's going to be potentially less visibility and it's one of those things i'm curious about like when they give those numbers compared to like obviously when you think about espn versus cbs sports network yeah it's easy to look at it and say oh well espn's way bigger so this is a downgrade but if there is potentially more homes that could access it as opposed to espn or espn plus which is where the lion's share of most of the cfl games ended up on whereas you'd have like almost like a featured game of the week, if you will, on ESPN2 or ESPN News. So if there's going to be more, the, the key though is the visibility, the, the fact that there's going to be actual promotion, because realistically over the past couple of years, it was just the, the CFL games were just kind of thrown on ESPN. And it's like, okay, well, they're there. Watch them if you want. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was about it. Like it was pretty much left up to players to let people know like, hey, my game's going to be on, you know, my team's going to be playing and it's going to be on ESPN2. Or if you if you're subscribed to ESPN ESPN Plus down in the states, that's how you find the game. So you can you can watch your you know your players your favorite players or whatnot playing their game. Not a whole lot of promotion other than that. Like certainly nothing from ESPN, anyways. Now, if CBS Sports is serious about truly promoting the CFL and promoting these games being broadcast on other whether it's uh, like you know other other sports uh, networks or even if CBS itself is going to promote the fact that, hey, you could watch Canadian Football League for, you know games on CBS Sports Network. That's massive. I mean, that's where you, you get that reach is the, the traditional networks like and CBS, if I'm not mistaken, has several different networks that could potentially be advertised on. That alone, I think, is going to be the key. I mean, if if that's truly the case, is they're going to promote it like that, then between this and the million dollars per year that the Canadian Football League and the teams are going to get. And as it stands right now, all nine teams will be getting $100,000 right off the hop. I mean, that's that's massive right there. I mean, to be able to get that sort of financial assistance as well as promotion. I mean, if if CBS Sports Network does it right and truly promotes it and not just the occasional commercial or just, you know, showing up on the, uh, you know, your your TV guide or anything like that. But uh, if they do actual true promotion of the Canadian Football League, then I'd be very excited. And I think that's going to be the key right there. I think that's what's going to make this deal a win for the Canadian Football League and for fans down in the States. So it on the surface, one would think that maybe this isn't the great deal, but I, I say let's let's see what happens. Let's see what, just how much promotion they truly put into it, whether or not they're going to promote it like we think it, they're going to promote it or hope that they promote it, or if it really is just going to be like it was with ESPN, where they just throw it on there and you know, good luck finding it. And then you're back to the players letting their families know via their social media accounts. Oh, by the way, our game is on ESPN too, or is our game is on CBS sports. Make sure you check it out. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. I said, I still think that the Paramount plus streaming is maybe, maybe a huge part in this. Um, you know, we've been led to believe that there may be some direct-to-consumer streaming, uh, that Paramount Plus may be a part of that. Maybe ESPN will be a part of the broadcast, be a part of the a part of it also. But mm-hmm. I, you know, I I don't know because it, you know it's very. Wouldn't it be interesting, Cliff? And I don't see this happening uh, unless there's a, a a time chain to the Grey Cup because we don't. Know, it didn't mention specifically that the Grey Cup was going to be broadcast on, on CBS Sports Network. Um, 
if they could pull it off and getting the game shown on CBS. And I use it as an example because I, the Arena League did, was able to pull that off too, if I remember correctly, or some of the other leagues also too were able to pull it off where the championship game was played on the on the main network. Um, you know, ESPN to ABC, et cetera, that type of thing. Um, but but it's always been branded as, you know, as a it was like a ESPN on ABC, that type of thing. But, you know, we don't know where the rest of the games are going to be are going to be broadcasting. Mean, this is only 34 games. That's it. That's all. Mm-hmm. And again, we will we will have to see what the announcements are. I mean, that would be interesting. Getting the game on CBS to go against tradition and to have it as a one o'clock kickoff or a three p.m. kickoff, but to get the game on CBS national television, that would be yeah. interesting. That would be interesting if that is a part because it's not listed. Obviously, it's not right. said yet because they said it was, it'll be going. Let us know. CFL uh, will also announce how U.S. fans can watch games not being broadcast on CBS Sports Network at a later date. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it behooves CBS Sports Network to find a way to put the remaining games on in some way, shape, or form, whether it's via streaming, via Paramount Plus, or even if you put it on other networks as well. As I said, like CBS, the CBS network has numerous channels. So, I mean, potentially, if you're if you're looking for ways to fill you know, those broadcast slots, I mean, great way to do it would be with CFL games. I mean, ideally, CBS Sports, I mean, it's a sports network, so you should have sports on your sports network. Oh, my God. What would you think? Because I know, if I'm not mistaken, I think Nickelodeon in the United States is also part of the CBS family. Correct. Wouldn't it be cool to get, you remember how they did the, the, the uh, how they did the Nickelodeon games for the NFL? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, with, with the, the slime in the end zones and blah, 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 blah. Wouldn't mm-hmm. that be interesting if they start if they use them as as a part of the partner partnership? Mm. The, that's a possibility. Uh, True TV as well, which yep. uh, would be an interesting break because it seems like all they ever show on there is Impractical Jokers. So I, unless you get those guys, <laughs> I mean, Impractical Jokers could be a, a great way to describe some of the higher ups of the CFL. But I digress. Mm-hmm. But again, I mean, the, like there is lots of potential in a deal like this. And I mean, again, I I have to believe the focus would be on CBS Sports Network, but uh, and it'll be also interesting, too, as they get into college football, because a lot of the uh, uh, college football games are also broadcast on CBS Sports and uh, with especially Saturdays, like Saturday is the big the big day for them. So considering that there's a lot of CFL games played on Saturdays, then you're almost forced to choose like, okay, do we broadcast the. you know, the Alouettes and the Red Blacks, or do we broadcast the Marshall versus Appalachian State. Or I got a feeling that stuff yeah. is gonna, this stuff will be locked in. That's the main thing that I think I'm, I'm going to understand is that yes, there may be some run over depending on what game is before it. You know, whatever they show are, are showing before it, because you mm-hmm. know sometimes they, there there is a a, a, a uh, an overlap because of overtime or whatever it may be. Right. But we'll have to see. I mean, as I said, impress me. Let me know. Let me I mean, know how this is going to work. Because obviously, that, uh, because, because I, obviously they don't mind earning a million bucks to have – because people need to remember, Cliff, and I don't know if people understand when it comes to Nielsen families and the ratings and stuff like that. CBS – you know, usually weekly we will see where, where the games were, were ranked in the, you know, in, the, in the sports ratings for the weekend or mm-hmm. for the day itself. CBS Sports Network is not a part of that family. Mm-hmm. So we will not know unless, the, unless CBS, uh, Warner – or the CFL promotes what the actual ratings will be. Mm-hmm. So once again, we're we're back to the situation of wait and see. Uh, 
again, hopefully they will promote the heck out of this. And truthfully, I mean, when you, especially when you think about CBS Sports, as I said, being such a big college station, how many college players you you watch these guys like two, three years ago. Now, a lot of those guys are in the Canadian Football League. It's a perfect tie in and one that I'm surprised has not been used more frequently. And maybe because, again, ESPN really didn't care. They're just happy to have something to fill those time slots. Whereas if the CB, if CBS Sports Network is truly interested in promoting the CFL and promoting it, the players, especially down the players that were you know superstars down in the States in, when they were in college, and now they're up, up playing in Canada, mm-hmm. if, if they're truly interested in promoting that and really making a spectacle out of it, I, I mean, the possibilities are limitless as far as I'm concerned. And I think fans down in the States who are starving for football, especially once, uh, well, again, the XFL is going to be finishing up pretty soon. The USFL finishes, I think, in June. NFL doesn't start until September, essentially. I mean, you've got that huge gap right there of time where people are just looking for football. And especially, too, if you've got a family member playing in the Canadian Football League and you're living in the States and you want to watch them on TV. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the opportunity. This is the vehicle in in order for them to be able to do so. So if this if CBS Sports Network can find a way to promote this and get people excited about it, and if enough people tune into the like just a few of those matches, then maybe that maybe that'll, that'll be enough for them to say, okay, maybe we should be putting the, more games on. Maybe we should be trying to find a way to broadcast for those who are into streaming or cord cutters or whatnot. Find a way to get the, get the people to these games, and people are going to tune in. And, we hear it all the time, especially like when family members of uh, our, our American players come up and they're like, yeah, I, I see it on ESPN or, you know, I'm trying to follow it as best as I can. But I mean, you don't they don't show everything like, well, this is the time. This, this is the opportunity. Like you've got to build that audience and get people excited about the Canadian Football League. And what way, better way to do that than with a big TV company like CBS at the helm? To me, to me, I just there is so much potential in a deal like this. And I, I sincerely hope that the explore all the avenues and find a way to truly make this a viable option for fans in the States to be able to watch this game. Yep. I agree. I agree. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, obviously revisit a little bit more once more information does come out. Uh, lastly, the Alouettes finally, they, we knew they were going to three rivers for, for training camp. Um, they made it official. Uh, the training camp will be, uh, it's going to be uh, uh, presented by us. A uh, lot of Quebec salon de jeu. Um, they, they will be have opening day on May fourteenth at two thirty. Um, we have the intersquad game the following week, the next Saturday. Uh, it is open to the public every day, and it is going to be at Stade Diablos over in Trois-Rivières, like it was last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't wait! Cannot wait! As it, as we mentioned on socials, we will be there. We will be there on the opening day. We will be there for the scrimmage. And we have a couple, uh, we we're, are going to be there for at least for Victoria Day. That we can say. So hit us up on socials. Uh, email me, tim.capper at alouettesflightdeck.ca or, or cliff at uh, clifford.pine at alouettesflightdeck.ca or shoot us a, a message over on social media. Let us know you're coming. Um, but one of the things we wanted to bring up, and by the way, uh, you know, by the way, the InterSquad game is going to be at 4.30 p.m. Uh, make sure you get there early, obviously, because the place only does hold uh, 2,000 people in stands. And if you were there last year, you knew how fun it actually was. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it was only 2,000 of us that were there. Didn't uh, sound like, it didn't sound like 2,000. It sounded like a lot more, quite yeah, frankly. Yeah. I agreed, 100%. And that's going to be on the uh, on May 20th. Now, so they also announced a schedule. 
you know, in the first couple of days are going to be, you know, morning, uh, going to be single days, and then it's going to be two a days. And I thought what was very interesting is that a lot, they actually are throwing in games where there are no practice. Um, and this is where Cliff and I are uh, questioning it a little bit. We love to find out what, what the reasoning is. We were trying to find out some more information when it came to the other teams and their training camps. If you know about if your teams have any days off during training camp, let us know. And, and it isn't necessarily because of a game, because obviously the Alouettes are going to have a, a day off after their preseason games. But the first week in itself, Cliff, um, they have a all practice. They have no practice on Wednesday the 17th. Mm-hmm. And then that first weekend after the inter-squad game, they have no practice on the 21st. Right. So long Victoria Day weekend, they're not going to have a one day worth of practice. Yeah. Which, I, okay, okay. Not seeing the collective bargaining agreement, we do not know if this is built into the CBA. And that's why we're asking for your help as fans to let us know if your teams are also having days off during camp where they do nothing. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this, Cliff? Because, you know, we, we're going to be reaching out to the Alice to see if we can get some more information on this, just for, at least for some clarification. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts on this? Because I really think, I mean, I understand the first day of camp. I get that. I, I'm surprised it's starting at 2.30, first and foremost. But mind you, they don't mention rookie camp, by the way, which I thought was very strange because rookie camp happens the week prior. Right. What do you, what's your take on these days off? It's bizarre to me in the sense only for the reason of the fact that there's going to be a long weekend where the Monday people typically will have the day off. So this is a this as far as I'm concerned would have been a prime opportunity to do training camp sessions Saturday, Sunday and Monday. If you want to get people to come to Trois Rivières and you know come and be a part of the training camp experience who don't live in Trois Rivières. Yes, I was going to say who don't live in Trois Rivières, it would have been it would make a lot more sense to have train camp sessions every single day. Like have, have the inter squad game for sure. There's, you know, that's very much a part of training camp itself. But to me, it's so bizarre to see, like, imagine like you're going for the weekend. Okay. You decide, okay, you get there Saturday, you go to the, 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 the scrimmage game. Right. And then Sunday you're doing nothing. And then Monday you've got the actual, you know, the first true sense of practice that you get to see, like the, like what you expect to see out of training camp. Truly, that's the only day, if you will, where you're going to see something that resembles what a training camp session looks like. Because, you know, uh, inter-squad game is essentially that. It's the offense versus the defense. It's an exhibition, if you will. And that's fine. That You know, that's an important part of camp as well. And I know fans will be interested in that as well, because that's, cl- that's pretty much the start of any sort of action if you will football wise but then if, if you're there for the entire weekend like what are you supposed to do on sunday i mean, I mean like to me it, it's a lost opportunity and one that doesn't make a whole lot of sense like if you've got to have if, if it's mandated between the league and the players association that there has to be days off during camp fine i get that but to me like why would you stay well, like knowing full well that it's a long weekend like, why wouldn't you have like take another day to have off and then just do you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday practices. Maybe take the Tuesday off. At, you know, if you if you need to take the day off because everybody's back to work and back. Well, I guess back to school too. It, it's just to me, it's just bizarre. Like when I when I saw this, I'm like, what the hell? Like, imagine deciding to go to Swatter here for the weekend, and then you're like, with the the sole purpose of seeing training camp, and instead nothing. Like on that Sunday, like okay, like it. 
to me, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like you, you want to promote this. You want people to get excited about training camp and come make the trip to Trois-Rivières and get people excited about football. And essentially, you're 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 missing like 33 percent of the weekend for, as far as I'm concerned, no particular reason. And also, too, the whole idea of training camp is supposed to well, one would think would be no days off. I mean. When you think about it, like you're getting ready to play a football season. You're getting, re- especially too for the youngsters and people on the bubble, like this is your chance to show up and show out for the coaching staff. This is your your job interview. This is your audition. This is your opportunity to prove that you belong on this football team. And to not have that, you know, like to me, I would want to have every possible opportunity to show the coaches what I can do on the football field. And instead, it's just going to be a day off, like. For as far as I'm concerned, no real reason. Like if you if you have to have days off, then frankly, I would put it during the week when you know that most people like even diehard fans might show up or people that live locally might stop in to check things out if they've got the day off. But why not take advantage of the weekend, especially being a long weekend, too? I mean, that's the prime opportunity. Like and again, to set up shop and to really, truly get fan give fans as much of the football experience as possible. To me, it, it seems like a no-brainer, but for the Alouettes, they're like, no, no, no need. You know, Sunday's a day off. Like, okay. Meanwhile, let's say you make you make the trip to go to Trois-Rivières, you rent a hotel, and you, you do all that. Okay, Sunday. What are you what are you supposed to do Sunday? Like, to me, it, it just it's bizarre. That's the only way I can put it. Is is bizarre. I mean, I don't know. There's there's just no other way to put it. I'm sorry. I I I just don't get it. Yeah, and they lose a couple days, too. I mean, if you look at the schedule itself, they will lose two full days, two full days, three full days. So they have their, they have their game versus Ottawa on the May 26th. Then they have uh, their uh, the meet and greet at the stadium uh, for the uh, Three Rivers Angels of the Frontier League. Egla. I, I know, I know, I know. Um, but, and then they don't have practice on Monday. On Sunday, mm. so it's two full days lost, and then they go into one. Then they go into one day practices one day a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, once a week, once a day, all the way through the, uh, the through the the the, the home game, the uh, preseason game in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe there's something. Again, if anybody knows or has seen the CBA, please shed some light on this for us. It, yeah. it, it, it it again boggles our mind, but we'd love to know the reasoning behind it. Yeah. It's- Again, it just feels like lost opportunities as far as I'm concerned. Like, uh, as far as trying to put your best foot forward, trying to get fans excited about Alouette's football. I mean, again, if you're living in Trois-Rivières, you probably don't care. But for, like, Montreal fans, for even people outside of Trois-Rivières that maybe want to come and check out the Alouettes since it's supposed to be Quebec's football team. I mean, that's that was the whole idea and notion with uh, Pierre-Carl Pelado buying the team was – it's local ownership, someone who's invested in Quebec and who wants to promote and develop this team to make sure that people know that it is 100% Quebec's football team, mm-hmm. not just Montreal's football team. And the fact that they're doing it, in, they're having training time in Trois-Rivières is supposed to help promote that idea. So for, for the Alouettes to potentially leave opportunities off to the side and not letting everybody get the full experience on the weekends when ideally they'd be a lot more free and able to come to camp, to me, it just it just feels like yet another lost opportunity, another situation where you're you're left scratching your head, wondering what what's going on. What <laughs> this makes no sense. Like, how is this supposed to be a professionally run organization, and you're doing questionable things like this? And it, it makes it very hard to defend such actions when you look at because 
you and I, we're, we're sitting here looking at this, and we're, we're still dumbfounded by it. Yeah. Again, I guess we'll find out. But uh, do you expect us to be at, at camp? Uh, let us know if you're going to be there. Um, and I know we didn't say it at the top of the show, but this is the beginning. This show is the beginning of our weekly run through the end of the season for the Alouette's flight deck. That's it. Back to being weekly, back to talking with uh, more of our players, uh, talking with more people involved with the Alouettes. We're, we're definitely looking forward to providing all kinds of content. And the fact that we're able to now do it on a weekly basis again, I mean, I'm excited about that. I'm definitely excited about what's going on. I know that, as I said, this offseason has been really wacky when it comes to a lot of the things we've we've seen and experienced. But my in my heart of hearts, I want to believe that the minute we get to training camp, we get to Tall Riviera, we get settled in our seats at the stadium, and we hear the smack of the pads, we hear the ball being thrown around, we hear the whistles going off, we, we get that feeling of, okay, football is back. I want to believe once we hear all that and see and experience it all in person, things are going to feel good again. But and the build up to it, the the lead up to it even has just been such a long, strange trip. And I just I just don't know why. I don't know why it has to be like this. Why? Why make things unnecessarily difficult? I just don't know. But yeah, here's hoping that when it's all said and done, like I said, we're, we, we get back to doing this thing every week like we, we like we love to do, like we want to do. We got so much stuff to talk about. Hopefully there's so many things that I'm looking forward to going through leading up to that very first game on June 10th. I mean, there's, there's a lot to go through for sure between now and then. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I just really want, I really hope that once training camp gets underway, it all starts making sense again. And just getting that feeling back of, okay, we got football. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. It's going to be ex- exactly what you thought and hoped it would be. If we can get that feeling, if I can get that feeling again, Tim, I tell you what, I, I'd be thrilled. And it would almost make it all worthwhile. All the, 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 the craziness, the wackiness we've had to endure this offseason, I'm hoping that it'll all lead to us feeling the way we should be feeling when training camp, basically when football starts up again. If we can get back to that feeling again, Tim, I'd be happy. I'd be pleased. And uh, yeah. I don't think that's too much to ask for. No, not at all. I agree with you, dude. We're glad to be back. Stay tuned for uh, stay tuned for the next show next week. Uh, if you have any ideas... Let us know what, uh, what you would like us to, to do, uh, who would you like us to have on the show. Uh, we're here to, uh, to listen to every uh, every idea from you, the fans. So uh, so for everybody here at the Alouette's Flight Deck for Cliffy D, I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.